This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing a lesson number one, don't pay for lessons. TD Ameritrade's education is free. Choose from articles, videos, webcasts, and more. Everything you need to take your trading to the next level. Visit tdameritrade.com education. Member SIPC. It's Monday, June 3rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, Emily Flippin in the house. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. If you're brand new to this podcast, because you listened to the bonus episode with Greg Fitzsimmons, this is what we normally do on Market Foolery. We normally talk about the business news of the day. So today we're going to talk about the latest in the food industry. We're going to give a sneak preview of Fool Fest, which is our big two-day investing event that's happening later this week. We're going to start, though, with shares of Alphabet down 6% this morning. The U.S. Department of Justice is reportedly looking into launching an antitrust probe aimed at Google. And I'm I'm of two minds of this. Uh, on the one hand, I look at this and think, yeah, this could be really bad, because I remember how much time and energy and money Microsoft spent back in the late 1990s dealing with their own antitrust investigation by the DOJ. On the other hand, I'm I got to say I'm a little surprised at the reaction of the stock because it's not exactly like it was a secret that this kind of thing was coming. Exactly. It's not entirely unexpected that they're launching an antitrust case or exploring launching an antitrust case against Google, especially given all the controversies recently around Facebook. So if Facebook's an issue, Google's kind of the mother of all antitrust issues, right? But going back to your point about Microsoft, I mean, look how well Microsoft has done post, you know, I think it was the early late 1990s, early 2000s antitrust case against them. I mean, the company has excelled. So when you see a pullback happen like today's for Google, logic would then tell you, oh, this is a short-term market reaction. Precedent says that the DOJ is really not going to do much to break up Google like some people may fear. But at the other hand, you can't help but consider the fact that this has been a long-standing issue. And the question of technology and what it means to be a monopoly in the tech space is something that's a big question mark in the American markets today. So whether or not Google ends up being broken up, I don't think it'll go that far. But I do think it will have a strong impact on Google's ability to acquire in the future. Do you own shares of Alphabet? I don't, not directly. I don't either. And uh, so consider a grain of salt or two with what I'm about to say. But I, I look at this, and I, again, Having watched what happened with Microsoft, I look at this and I think to myself, I think if I were an Alphabet shareholder, uh, I'm not saying Alphabet should just do whatever the Justice Department wants, but at some point, I like to think that the executives at Alphabet are smart enough that they would consider proactively spinning off some part of the business if it made this type of thing go away. And first in my mind is YouTube, in part because I think, uh, and this is not particularly revolutionary thinking on my part, uh, people much smarter than me have made this point that you could unlock potentially greater value with YouTube if you spun it off and it was its own public company. But I don't know. I, I sort of look at this and think, sure, Alphabet can afford the lawyers. <laughs> they can have you know whatever conversations they want with DOJ but at some point it might be worth just saying okay what do we need to do to make this go away 
Well, it would be a big thing for markets because, as we mentioned, neither of us own shares of Google outright. But I index a majority of my retirement right. savings, for instance. And the major reason why I don't own shares is because I actually own way too much Google on an index basis, right? Because it's such a large company. Virtually any index fund you'll buy will have some exposure to Google or other large tech giants. So a spinoff would mean really big things for the company. The reason why I don't think it's maybe as likely as you as you say, is because we saw last quarter a slowdown in Google's core business. And so I think Google is realizing that they haven't really had organic growth for a while. Internally developed growth has kind of been hard to come by for Google. They're relying on acquisitions, um, you know, acquisitions like Nest and Waze and, and even YouTube. I mean, these are the things that are really driving growth for them. So I do think there could be some value unlocked by spinning off different subsidiaries like YouTube, for instance. Uh, but the other flip side is if they did that, I think it would mean bigger things for Google. They'd have to reinvent what their core business is. And if things like YouTube don't play into that core business, how are they going to make that core business grow again? Definitely going to be something to watch. And uh, the wheels of justice tend to grind slowly. So this uh, this is something that will, I'm sure, make headlines again throughout 2019 and beyond. So we'll keep our, our eyes on it. Let's move on to the food industry, which really, I think, because of what we saw with the Beyond Meat IPO, has become a much more interesting place to watch. And the news today is out of Nestle, which is gearing up to launch its own plant-based burger in the United States, dubbed the Awesome Burger, which is a great name. I'm a little surprised no one locked that one up already. Um, shares of Nestle are up. I had to go back and look and see, well, how big is Nestle? Because it's one of those things where I thought to myself, I know this is a big company. I'm just not sure how big it is. Nestle's a $300 billion company, and the stock's hitting a new high. It's a very international company as well. And you'll notice that this launch in the United States comes after launching a soy-based burger in Europe called the Incredible Burger. So for those keeping score at home, now we have the Beyond Burger, the Impossible Burger, the Incredible Burger, and the Awesome Burger. So how you will choose your meat alternative burgers is really going to be, I guess, based off the title there. Uh, but it's interesting because it depends on, on, you'll notice that in Europe, they launch soy-based. In the US, they're focusing on pea-based burgers. So trying to figure out where the market's going in terms of meat alternatives is really going to be interesting. Uh, that being said, companies like Beyond Meat have really proven that, at least in an investing perspective, there's great market demand for this. Uh, the market demand in terms of actual consumption, whether or not it's a fad, whether or not it's persisting long-term, to be determined. But it's interesting because companies like Nestle, we saw it with Tyson, these are big players, suddenly making a concerted effort to get into the alternative meat market. So when I think about the alternative meat market, sure, we've had veggie burgers on the market for decades, but they haven't grown nearly as fast as they've grown over the past few years. And, and right now, the meat market in terms of alternative sales of meat, it's about $13 billion. The entire meat market in the United States, $270 billion. So it's only about 5% of the meat market. That might sound like a small amount, but electric vehicles, for instance, are only about 1.2% of the vehicle market, and people see great opportunities there for expansion. So if you see a clear path to expansion the way that many people see with electric vehicles and alternative meats, then there could be an argument to be made that investing in alternative meats for companies like Nestle, Tyson's, Beyond Meat, it's actually a good investment. 
you think about the distribution network that Nestle has built up as the company has grown, and that was one of the things I was thinking about reading through these stories this morning, because good for Beyond Meat, they're a small startup, they had a splashy IPO, left some money on the table with their IPO, but um, but they've got a little bit of a supply and demand challenge that I look at Nestle and say to myself, without really knowing all the details, my hunch is they've got distribution figured out better than Beyond Meat. Um, and probably worth uh, reminding folks that uh, we've seen this in the beverage market for a very long time, where startup beverage companies, sometimes they're end business goal is to get acquired, whether it's by Anheuser-Busch or if it's a soft beverage, then they're looking to get acquired by Coca-Cola or Pepsi. Seth Goldman, who we've had here at The Motley Fool, we've interviewed him. He started the Honest Tea Company, which Coca-Cola took a stake in and then ultimately took it over. He's now the executive chairman of Beyond Meat. And so when I look at what Nestle is doing, and they yes, they've been working on this for years, as you point out rightly. So veggie burgers have been on the market for years, but there's this renewed interest, and it makes me wonder if one more reason to buy shares of Beyond Meat and possibly Impossible Foods when they go public is they're a likely well, they're a likelier takeout candidate than Nestle is. Nestle's not going to go whatever success they have <laughs> with you know the awesome burger. They're not going to spin that off on its own. They're going to keep that in house. Whereas Beyond Meat, uh, they, it, it's easy to imagine someone coming along and then just saying, "All right, let's let's." take you over and, and really expand your distribution. Definitely. And Nestle made a point of stating when they announced the expansion of their new alternative meat lines that they seek to kind of remove some of the issues that we see in the alternative meat market in terms of production and sales and, and meeting demand. So Nestle is acutely aware of the fact that they are going to fill a need that is still unmet in terms of supplying more supply to an alternative meat market that has soaring demand. What I think is really interesting is that when you look at something like Beyond Meats, Tyson had a stake in it. Tyson could have potentially acquired that company, but instead actually sold out their stake and started to produce their own burgers. So whether or not Beyond Meats gets acquired, I think depends a lot more on the quality of their product. They need to prove that there is value in having a Beyond Meat burger versus a Tyson's burger versus a Nestle's burger versus an Impossible burger. They need to prove that, hey, we have something of value that people seek out our burgers over other burgers, and therefore you must acquire us to get that knowledge, to get that that technology and that food, as opposed to making your own. We haven't really seen that yet. And I think that's largely because the market is still developing for alternative meats. Give it a year or two, I think we're going to start seeing whether or not people actually seek out a Beyond Meat burger or if they'll take any alternative burger given to them. This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. When it comes to investing, each of us does it our own unique way. Some of us want to go it alone. Others might prefer some guidance, regardless of your style. TD Ameritrade is always creating new solutions to help you from their award-winning technology to personalized guidance. They have everything you need to invest on your terms. Visit tdameritrade.com YTDA to learn more and get started today. Member SIPC. As I mentioned at the top, FoolFest, which is our two-day investing conference, is happening later this week. So it's going to be the proverbial short week for us here on Market Foolery. We'll be here through Wednesday. We're taking Thursday off because it's going to be a really, really busy day for yours truly. Um, but it's also going to be a busy day for you 
uh, Emily, a busy couple of days because in addition to um, a main stage panel that I know um, you're going to be a part of, you're also doing a couple of different breakouts. And I'm curious if you could just share a little bit about uh, the breakout sessions that you're going to be leading and and one or two stocks, maybe from each, that um, that you're going to be highlighting. Sure thing. Uh, the first breakout is going to be over China, actually, which I know is a, of a topic of interest for a lot of investors, given the tensions recently between the U.S. and China and trade. So I'm teaming up with Ben Ra here on the investing team. He gives a quick overview of what it means to look at China from a historical context, how playing the history of China off of investing in it today how we get a mindset for how we find ourselves investing in companies. And I take some of the lessons that we can learn by looking at the history of China and rolling it into, hey, here, here's some companies in China that we like, even with all these issues. So I think it's no surprise to, if you've been listening to me on this podcast or are familiar with me on Rule Breakers, um, one of those companies is my favorite, Baozun. They call it the Shopify of China. What I really like about this play is that it's been completely hammered by the trade war, and actually with good reason, because they do have some direct exposure to trade tensions between the U.S. and China, which makes a lot of investors think, wait, <laughs> why would I invest? in this company. And the reason is, is because they've been largely unaffected by it. The demand for their product has been so strong that they actually reported earnings last week and and expectations were very much that the trade war would prevent international companies from coming over and using Baozun services. But on the contrary, they had the fastest growth of customers that they've ever seen since being a public company. So that, to me, says a lot about the strength of their business model. Uh, so that's one company from that breakout that I'll dive further into in that session. I'm a really big fan of it. Uh, in addition, we're also doing, I'm teaming up with Shannon Jones, and we're going to do a breakout over marijuana investing. So that one's going to be really exciting because I think a lot of investors either are overexposed to marijuana in a bad way or completely avoid the industry also in a bad way. So we're going to address about what it means to invest in marijuana, how you can do so ethically, how you can do so safely, keeping that exposure to a minimum while still giving yourself some growth upside. One company that I'm a big fan of, Shannon, a little bit less of, so that makes for interesting fodder, is a company called Charlotte's Web. CWEB is a ticker. It's originally a company run by seven brothers, uh, so really interesting kind of structure there. But they essentially created a strand of CBD, which is the non-toxic part of a, of the marijuana plant, um, that cured a little girl named Charlotte's seizures, or essentially made them a nominal amount of seizures. So they renamed the company Charlotte's Web. Now they sell CBD online through their store. So it's a really inspirational company. Management obviously takes a really long-term approach to what CBD means for Americans, what it means for our health. And it's a good way to kind of get exposure to the marijuana market while still feeling good about what you're investing in. So you're saying the estate of the late great novelist E.B. White was totally okay with, yeah, Charlotte's Web, go for it. I'm not sure That's if they've gotten big enough. That's a beloved children's book. <laughs> well, for what it's worth, the company, I think, almost makes good on that name based off of its mission, which is really, I mean, they saved a little girl's life, right? So what kind of matches with the Charlotte's Web better than better than that? But I agree that maybe the company just hasn't been big enough to run into any legal troubles with that name. Uh, speaking of marijuana... We're going to be uh, doing a YouTube live Q&A today, Monday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern. Myself, Emily, Shannon Jones, uh, we're going to be taking your questions. Um, and in fact, by the time you're listening to this, uh, we may have already completed it. But hey, check out The Motley Fool's YouTube channel. 
which is just youtube.com slash The Motley Fool. You can subscribe to our channel for free. Uh, you can check out the whole Q&A. We're going to be going at least 20, maybe 30 minutes on this. Uh, expect to get a lot of questions from the audience, uh, and it's free. So check it out. Emily Flippin, always good talking to you. Thanks again for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool, may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by the Iron Man, Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.